My name's Paul. It's a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Trust that God is speaking to you and you're encouraged to gather and worship him. Why don't we pray as we dive into the word this morning? Lord, God, this is about you. And we receive and want to receive all that you have for us. We just make ourselves ready to hear your word. God, come and change us. Come and speak to us. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For, um, for those of you that happen to drive a lot, I've learned a really fantastic thing. I am driving down to Duncan about three to four days a week or so now. And uh, there's this magical thing called audiobooks. You guys ever tried an audiobook? Man, if you're stuck in a car for a while, I highly recommend it. It's the fastest I've ever read through anything in my life. I was listening to an audiobook this last, uh, this last week with the start of a new year, and the writer started to describe what it's like for many in the Western uh, nations here that call themselves believers. And he started to explain this, and you know, he starts to, he starts to talk about believers, and I think, a believer? Right, I'm a, I'm a Christian, yeah, I, I'm a believer. Yeah, the word says in Romans that if I believe in my heart and I confess that Jesus is Lord, right, that I have salvation. Yeah, I, I can identify with being a believer. There's lots of other things I'm not going to identify as, but a believer? Yep, okay, I get that. So, you know, the author's got me here for a minute. And then the narrator starts to talk through this book, and he begins to unpack a stark reality that's true of many people that call themselves believers in the Western world today. And he explains this way. He says that many confess a belief in God much the same way as maybe perhaps they might believe that aliens exist. I'm not suggesting that aliens exist, but he's basically saying that their belief in God is a spiritual gesture or acknowledgement that perhaps God is real. I was thinking about it this way. Um, have you ever walked into a room and there's a bunch of people and you make eye contact with someone and you just kind of want to acknowledge them so you give them that head nod? You know what I'm talking about. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You walk into a room, someone looks at you and you're like, all right, I see you. All right, some of you ladies, it's probably a smile. You're like, I'm friendly. But that's about the extent of it, right? There's no real relationship. There's no real connection here. And if we're really honest, what we're kind of saying with the head nod is, yeah, I see you, but leave me alone. You stay there and I'll stay over here. Just, we'll just leave it at that, right? You know, it's interesting though, but as the author's talking about our belief in God, this actually is not the kind of relationship that God has called us to. Belief in God is not merely a gesture. It's not this thing where there's no engagement, where there's no relationship. Our belief in Jesus is not a passive endorsement for him. You know, kind of like the bumper sticker you put on the back of your car for your favorite sports team, or if you're in the U.S., you know, it's a political party, right? But it's not this passive-aggressive endorsement of something. With Jesus, it's so much more. We don't just acknowledge that he is real. We don't just acknowledge that maybe he exists. For us, as believers, our belief in Jesus is one that draws us into relationship. And it causes us to want to commit to live our lives for him. So as a true believer of Jesus, 
we actually see Jesus and then we choose him as Lord and as Savior. And it's important that we consider that it's both of these because we need a Savior, but we also need a Lord. We need someone to oversee and direct our lives. But when we see Jesus, it's not reasonable for us to go, yep, there you are. You stay over there and I'll stay over here. I would argue that we probably haven't got a really good revelation of who Jesus is, because when we see Jesus, we see ourselves, and we see the need for a Savior, because we see that we are broken, that we're full of sin, that we're hurting, and we are imperfect. We need a Savior. When we see Jesus, there's something in us that is drawn to respond to him. And that's why we choose him as Lord and Savior. When we, when we see ourselves in reflection in Jesus, we can't help but say, I need help. I trust that many of us are here today because we've made that decision, that we've chosen Jesus as Savior. And the interesting thing when I was looking at Scripture and just reminding of what this process looks like, when we choose him as Savior, the Word says that he saves us out of a kingdom of darkness— and then he saves us into a kingdom of light. We come out of something, but we also come into something. The word says that it's a kingdom. It's the kingdom of his son. It's the kingdom of God. If we come into a kingdom, we come under a rule and authority. We come under someone's kingship, and that's Jesus. It's so important we recognize that when we come out of that darkness and into this kingdom, that we now have a Lord. We have someone that is overseeing. What it means for us is that we surrender ourselves to him. We surrender ourselves to his purposes. How many of you are glad that we have a good king? Man, I am so glad we have a good king, that he is a king that we can trust when we surrender to him. Imagine surrendering to a tyrant king. Man, we don't have to surrender to a tyrant. We surrender to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And this is the hallmark of a true believer, not the one that this author was talking about. The hallmark of a true believer is one that surrenders their lives to the king and to his purposes. And this is the series that we're in, and you heard it on the booth, and Andy's touched on it already this morning and last week, that we are on a journey of becoming like Christ. True believers are in a process of becoming like Christ. In Romans 8, 29, it says it this way, that we are being conformed to the image of his son. We are being conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed means to take on the same form or shape as something else. For us, that means we take on the same character, the same nature, and the same likeness of Jesus. He's in a process of transforming us. And he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us so that we might become like Jesus. And this changes in us our attitudes, it changes our actions, it even changes the way that we think. It's a gradual process. How many of you are fully conformed to the image of Jesus? Okay, good. I'm, you guys have figured this out. All right, excellent. Not yet. We're not going to be fully conformed into the image of Jesus until we go to be with him in heaven. 
we're constantly being transformed into his image. So for us today, when we look at scripture, I want to jump in and examine uh, a scripture in Luke. Andy said I had to preach on the hard passages that Jesus said, so I'm sorry I've picked one. Luke 9, 23. Let's read this together. It says, if you have a Bible, follow along. If you don't, I think it's going to be on the screen. It says, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. All right, now BJ's going to come up and tell us what that means. <laughs> There's a lot here. There's a, there really is. There's a lot here. And actually, if we expand on the, the context of the scripture, there's even more to consider. And I think it's helpful to say that if we're going to understand and follow what this passage is saying, that it's imperative that we must first have a revelation of Jesus. I actually don't think it's possible in any way that we could walk this passage out if we don't first have a revelation of Jesus. So just prior in this passage, prior to what we just read, you'll see that actually before Jesus starts talking about this, he's talking with the disciples and he hits this very thing and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not what do others say, he started there, but he says, now who do you say? It's a personal question. Who do we see Jesus as? And Peter's response was, you are the Christ. Some versions say you are the Messiah. It was a personal revelation that he had that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the promise of God to send a Savior to save us from our sin and to bring us back to right standing with God. That is the personal revelation that's so imperative for us to understand. So once he hears that, then the next thing Jesus does is he starts to explain that after you have this personal revelation, he says, okay, now here's what I have to do. And he says, you know, I have to go to the cross. He's like, I'm going to suffer. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So he tells them what it means to be that Christ and to be that savior. And after that, then he starts to explain to them what their purpose is and what God has for them. And he gets into this passage. And he says three very key things here. They're going to be our three points for the day. For us that are looking at this process of becoming like Christ, it's really imperative that we start in this place. First with the revelation of Jesus. And then we look at what he's asked of us. And it says this. It says that we're to do three things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. Simple, right? All right, let's get into it. The first one, deny yourself. Well, what does it mean? Well, I'd like to start just by saying this, that when we come to Jesus and we make him Lord, it's so important that we realize that at that point, 
we're no longer our own. Remember when we come into the kingdom that we have a Lord that we submit to. We have a king that we come and under his rule and authority. That means that we're no longer our own. And we surrender, not from a position of defeat. Oftentimes we think surrender is this thing of defeat, like there's a conquering army trying to overcome us and overpower us and turn us into a slave. Remember, we serve a good king. It's different. Surrendering is a submission in this case out of an honor for God. It's a surrender out of a love for Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. We have a revelation of him and we go, oh my goodness, God, I'm here. Take all of me, my life. I want to serve you. How can I not? You saved me from my sin and I have eternity in heaven with you. Use me. I, I want to be a part of your kingdom and your purposes. This is what it sounds like and looks like for us to surrender. We're not our own. In, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says it this way. It says that you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So denying ourselves is choosing to live for him rather than ourselves. So that means we open our hands. We open our hands with our agendas. We open our hands with our plans. We open our hands with our desires. And actually, we just submit all of it to Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't get to maybe do some of those things, but we have an open hand. And we say, God, you tell me what to do with my life. You direct me. It's all yours. We have an open hand. Really easy. No big deal. We've all, we've all mastered that one, hey? I'll be honest with you. I have not mastered that one, okay? This is not an easy process for us. Well, let's be honest. Well, why is that? Why is this a challenge when we, when we consider this, this thing that God's called us to? Why is it difficult? Well, I'd like to say it's because we have this thing in us called our flesh, and it has a ferocious appetite. We all have a flesh. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, that our flesh is kind of like a hungry three-year-old. All right, I have a hungry three-year-old. If my three-year-old is hungry, Oh my word, look out. She is going after it. She is upset about everything. She is unreasonable. She's demanding. She's completely miserable until she's fed. Our flesh is sometimes like that, so ferocious and overpowering that it's, that it's hard to even navigate. What do I do with this thing? We have a flesh inside us. And generally when the word in the Bible talks about flesh, it's referring to the physical human nature of a person as opposed to the spiritual and divine nature. It's more simple. It's, it, really, we just have a carnal mortal body, right? And it has needs. It has wants. It even has desires. Some of these things are good. Some of them are just pleasure. And some of them are bad. Some of them could be really bad. Part of the reality of having a flesh is that it also draws us closer to sin. Nobody wants to talk about that one, but it does. Part of our flesh causes us to draw closer to sin because when we live for pleasure, we end up crossing boundaries that we shouldn't. God doesn't want us to live for ourselves, but to live for him. But the world that we live in is full of tricks. 
to get our flesh's attention. It's full of tricks. We can easily be tricked to making our life's goal the mere pleasure of our comforts. It's the, it's this, it's our whole, we have a whole marketing campaign about the, uh, around this. Uh, this is how marketing is done. They market just about any product, good, or service. It's all about our needs, our desires. You'll feel, be- feel better if you have this. Hey, eat this juicy burger. You're going to love it. You know, it's going to make your taste buds do cartwheels. You know, like the whole marketing campaign around the world about all everything we look at is geared towards our flesh. But God says that we're to live by our spirit and not be led by our flesh. So denying our flesh is paramount in walking in the purposes of God because our flesh wants to make us the priority. Our flesh wants to make us the priority and not him. So the purpose of our existence, believe it or not, is not to live for our own comforts and pleasures. You know, the pinnacle of our life is not to be the most comfortable as possible. That's not the intention that God ever had for us. Yet I do believe that our world wants to trick us into believing that. When we do, we're easily consumed by our comforts. I think when Christians, I was thinking about it this way, when Christians end up living for themselves, we often end up turning God into this magical genie that's there to serve our flesh and our comforts and our, you know, our things that we desire. We go over and go, God, you know, I really want that job. God, I really, I really want, you know, whatever it is, the thing. It's often those desires that we go to him for and we come to him because we're serving our flesh and we don't realize it. And that's how we engage him. It's not what God has called us to. God tells us that we're to deny our flesh, that we're to put it in check, that we're to almost ignore it. And I I was considering, well, why? Like, why? And you know, it's really simple. Inside of us, we have our flesh that's loud, and we're not going to do away with it, guys, until we go to heaven. But we also have the Spirit of God living inside us. But this flesh is so loud and unruly that we cannot hear the Spirit of God inside us. It drowns him out. Do you know what I'm talking about? It often drowns him out. So denying our flesh allows us to hear God. Denying our flesh actually allows us to hear God. So here's a great exercise. If you think I'm just making up ideas, here's a great exercise. I think one of the ways that's a great way to deny our flesh and maybe put it in check is fasting and praying. Fasting is a really practical one. The first thing that our flesh is longing for and wanting with that ferocious appetite is actually food. It's really interesting. But we're to put our flesh in check and not just to live for that. And this isn't just me, okay? You know, remember when Jesus was being tempted and he went into the desert? And he was hungry. He was fasting and praying. He was spending time with his father. And the enemy came along and says, hey, If you're God, I know you're hungry. See those rocks? See those delicious, tasty, fluffy rocks? How many of you guys make sourdough? All right, okay. A delicious, yummy sourdough. Just turn that rock into sourdough. Just turn it into bread if you're the son of God. So the devil comes tempting. The devil comes and attacks flesh, right? And what does Jesus say to him? 
Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not bread alone. Yes, we're going to need bread. But Jesus says, no, I'm putting my flesh in check because I want the living word of God. I want to hear from my Father, and I'm going to live on that. You see, deep down inside of us, the Spirit of God is And there is a hunger and a desire for more of him and intimacy and relationship for him. But when we're so busy feeding our flesh, we are not paying attention to our spirit that is starving for more of God. So if we're having a hard time hearing God, I I really want to encourage you, spend some time and actually fast. Spend some time and fast and pray. And you're not doing it from a place of this masochistic approach of, oh, I'm going to be strong and muscle my way through this. No, guys, this isn't, it isn't like that. This isn't something we're going to, you know, beat our flesh with our flesh. We're doing it simply because we want to get closer to God and we want to hear the Spirit of God that's speaking to us. Amen? All right, so the Word says that we're to deny our flesh. And we do it so that we can hear God. What's the next thing I see when we look at this verse? The next thing for us, he says, is take up our cross. Take up our cross. So deny yourself, take up your cross. The first reality for us here is that the cross was a symbol of suffering and sacrifice. The Romans came up with death by crucifixion, quite literally because they were trying to come up with the most painful way to kill someone. That was it. That was their objective. What's the difficult, most painful, suffering way possible to end someone's life? And they came up with the crucifixion. So from the moment that that was, that was where its origin was. For for us, absolutely, there's a reality that when we consider the cross, and Jesus mentioned it, that he had to go to the cross and suffer. That yes, actually, that there is some hardship and difficulty in becoming a follower of Christ when we deny our flesh. Absolutely. But for us, there's a willingness to give up our own comforts and desires to follow him, even if it means facing persecution and hardship. Being a Christian and following Jesus isn't going to be a smooth and comfortable ride. That isn't what the Bible tells us. Now, I'm not suggesting that now your future is going to be the cross, per se. But I do believe that as Christians, if we're going to live how God has asked us to live, that there's going to be opposition. And even Jesus said it. He said, you know, in this world, you will have troubles. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, but fear not, because I have overcome the world. He has overcome those hardships and challenges and the difficulties and the things that we go through. I do think it's quite interesting when we consider the timing of when he said this. So Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Interesting. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. Do you think about that? Jesus actually hadn't been to the cross yet. But he did know that this was his trajectory. He did know that this is why the Father had sent him. He did know that his purpose was to go to the cross, to go through that pain and suffering for our sake, right? To pay for the price of sin. So it's interesting for me because I think in, in when we look at this and we consider taking up our cross, that the cross not only resembles maybe some of the hard realities of becoming like Jesus, but it 
also is this thing of, uh, let's say, a metaphor of the purposes of God in our lives. Taking up our cross is taking up the purposes of God that he has for us. It was Jesus' purpose to go to the cross for us. And this isn't just my idea. There's a bunch of commentators that read it the same way and see that. That taking up our cross means that we are choosing to live out his plans and purposes in our lives. So for us today, what does it mean? Stay focused on what God has asked of you. We've been called into his service for his purpose and pursue it till the end of your days. Don't stop. Continue to do this and to take up our cross. It means, yeah, we're going to need to maybe endure some challenges and hardships. And maybe there's going to be some sacrifices along the way required of us. But just as Jesus was willing to endure the cross, we should do the same with the things that he's called us to. And he's asked us as Christians to follow in his footsteps. How often does it say for us to do this? Once a year. Weekly. Maybe monthly? No, it says daily. It says we're to take up his cross daily. So, when you go, well, what does it mean daily? Jesus wasn't on the cross every day. You're right. Because it's the purposes of God for us that we're taking up daily. So on the daily, it means that we're willing to make sacrifices. We're willing to put the needs of others before ourselves. Taking up our cross is serving God the way he served us. Just like Jesus laying his life down. Loving the people around him. We do the same. We do what God has asked of us rather than just what's easy or what's convenient. So here's some interesting examples. The first one is interesting. I, I, I think for me, it, I, I had a hard time even writing. We actually need to hear it. What does it look like for us on a daily? Read our Bible. I know that sounds wild to even say it. How are we equating taking up our cross like it's this hardship like what Jesus went through to reading our Bible? But reading our Bible is actually often the opposite of what our flesh wants to do. Our flesh will come up with every excuse not to read our Bible. But actually, there is no excuse. You might not even like reading. You might say, I'm not a reader, Paul. It actually doesn't matter. There isn't an excuse for us. I'm saying this to myself. I need to read my Bible more. But for us, it's a really basic, fundamental one. Read our Bibles. There is life in the Word. There is so much life in that Word. The Word says it's living and active. It means for us, if we want to become like Jesus, hey, let's read the manual. Let's have a look. Let's see what he wants to download and deliver and say to us. Let's read our Bible. It's contrary to what our flesh wants. What are some other ways? Well, pray. Talk to God. It's easier than you think. Talk to him. What are some other things in the context of maybe serving others? Well, forgive people, even when it's difficult. How about this? Even when you're justified. That's hard. But forgive people. Unforgiveness will be like an anchor around your ankle, and you will not go anywhere until you cut that chain. Forgive people. Help those in need, even if it's inconvenient, even if it costs you time and resources. Live with integrity and honesty, even if it means dealing with difficult consequences for that. Stand up for what's right, even if it means persecution and criticism. 
Share the message of Jesus with others. It might mean you'll get rejected. Do it anyway. Tell people about Jesus and serve others. Serve others as Jesus served us. We follow Jesus' example with humility, love, and selflessness. We give up our own desires for the sake of his purposes. So the pain and difficulty of the cross, believe it or not, for us in our lives, it's temporal. It's temporal. It passes. But when we deny our flesh and we put our attention on him, the significance of that temporal, it actually fades. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says this, he says, So do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have an understanding and there's this eternal privilege of carrying our cross. There's an eternal privilege that far outweighs maybe some of the difficulty that comes with carrying out the purpose of a God in our lives. It is so worth it. When we, when we think about what Jesus did on the cross, you know what it says of Jesus when referencing what he did on the cross? And this is a passage that I, I just keep coming back to. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't just for the joy set before him, he agreed to go to the cross because he knew it was going to be good, but hadn't been hanging yet, having gone through anything. No, it says he endured the cross. So even in the midst of the worst possible difficulty and pain that a human being can experience, it says that he had joy. Wow! For the joy set before him. Why? Because he knew this eternal perspective, the ramifications of what he was doing, was saving a whole, what, a whole humanity. All of us now have access to God to spend eternity in with him. Eternity with him. This is what it looks like to live for eternity. So in a world obsessed with instant gratification, God says that we should live a different way. Hey, don't just do what makes you happy. Don't just pursue the things that are temporal. God is calling us to live a different way. Hey, he's calling us to not just live for the here and now, but to live for the things that are unseen, to live for eternity. It's interesting because the word says, look to what is unseen. Well, that's interesting. How can I see the unseen? With faith. God says we're to live by faith. And don't worry. If you feel like you don't have much, the word says that he's the author of your faith. So just ask him for some. He's got faith for you. And he'll make it grow. Ask him for some. We can get through this. So what's the next thing it says? To deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then do what? Follow me. I'm so glad that it doesn't say, just figure it out. Hey, deny yourself, take up the cross, you're good, figure it out, you got this, yep, there you go. No, 
It says, follow me, not on your own, but with him. Have you ever had a manager that hired you into a new position? And he just said, here you go, read this, do the job, you're on your own. By the way, I'm going to mark you on it later, but just, you know, you got this. Anybody ever been in a job like that? Yeah, a few of you. I know it's the worst thing ever if you haven't experienced it. We have not that kind of manager. We have a good God. He says, no, 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 hold on, just follow me. I'm going to go this way. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me show you how this works. Let me show you how to do it step by step. We have a God that is with us, and he invites us by invitation to follow him. It's an invitation. We can choose to stay where we are, or we can choose to follow him step by step. A good leader doesn't ask of his followers something that he wasn't prepared to do. That's how we know we have a good leader. He doesn't say take up your cross because he thought it was something he might try. He knew he was going to do it and he fulfilled it and he did it. You know what's even more amazing than this? Is that he actually, in the midst of this saying, follow me, he gives us a helper to help us follow him. Hey, he gives us a helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the one that's living inside us when we choose Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he's leading and guiding us. In John 14, 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance of all that, that I have said to you. He reminds us to keep our eyes on Jesus. The Holy Spirit keeps our eyes focused on Jesus. That's why it's so important that we deny our flesh, flesh and we tell it to kind of be quiet so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit inside us is saying. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to him follow him. Look to what's not seen. When we focus on Jesus, when our eyes are on Jesus, he's going to take us incredible places. But you know, just like Peter that stepped out of the boat when he saw Jesus, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we look at the circumstances, the difficulties, the realities of stuff around us, we sink. We get overcome by it. But God says to keep our eyes on him. And the word says when we do that, that he will see us through. We will walk through what he has for us. We'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not fear evil. We will overcome the things that we face. It just takes keeping our eyes on him. You know, where God is leading us is good. Where he wants to take us is good. In fact, it's better than good. It's eternal. It's amazing. Nobody offers what Jesus offers. Nobody. There's lots of people out there, gurus, people with step programs, all kinds of ideas, even other uh, leaders that, that have faith that are directing people in a certain way to believe a certain thing. None of them offer eternity. None of them offer what Jesus offers. The Bible says that he is a good shepherd. 
John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. He is a good, good shepherd. Following Jesus and becoming like Christ is so liberating. It really is. Not only is he a good shepherd and has our best and he's going to take us good places, he laid down his life for us and he's never going to leave us. The word says here that no one can even snatch you from his hand. So even when you feel like the enemy is coming at you, he can't have you. Remind him. The enemy cannot take you from his hand. Wow. But you know what? It gets even better. It says that he wants to speak to us. We will know his voice. We can know the personal and intimate voice of the Lord in our lives. He wants to speak to us on this journey. Do you know the voice of the Lord? If we want to hear the voice of the Lord, let's sort out that flesh. Let's deny ourselves because God is speaking to you. He wants to speak to us. I think for me, this is where it gets really exciting when I consider this. When I consider that God wants to speak to me as I walk through life. It means that I can dream big dreams. It means that I can read his word and the things that he's done and the things that he says he wants to do. And I can say, Lord, I want to do that. Help me walk in the fullness of everything you have for me. And he's going to speak to me. He's committed to staying with me. And he's going to speak along the way. There's actually no better way to live than this. There really isn't. There's no better way to live than this. I just want to read the last couple of verses here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to spend a bit of time in worship, but before we do, we're going to, we're going to take communion. So if the team would come up. Let's read this last bit in Luke that he says. In verse 24, it says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. When I read this, I am reminded that Jesus is coming again. And I'm reminded that from now until that point, whether it's in my lifetime or not, that there's actually no better way to live my life. There's no better thing I can do with my time than to live for him, where I lay down my life, my agenda, living for myself, and I take up the cross and I live for his purposes and his plans in my life. There is no better way that's what it's saying for us here. As true believers, not the ones we started to talk, uh, this, uh, this morning with, not those ones that kind of just look at a distance, but the true believers, the true believers that follow Jesus, we're on this journey. We're on this journey of becoming like Christ. And it's a good journey. He has the best for us. It's not an easy passage, but it is a life-giving passage. I trust God is speaking to you this morning. 
And you know, just as we transition from here, we're gonna, we're gonna actually make some opportunity to take up communion. How can we not take a moment and consider what Jesus did on the cross after reading through scripture like this? So I'm just gonna ask, maybe there's a, I think there's a team ready to help us and why don't we stand? We're gonna take up communion in just a moment. I'm gonna release you to come up front. The word says that when we gather that we're to do this, we're to break bread with one another. For us, this is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And it's also a reminder that we're part of that, that he has a plan for us, that we have a response to him to take up our cross. Now, it's never going to compare in the same way to what Jesus has done. But when we come together and we gather, we break bread in remembrance of his body that was broken for us. And we take up the juice or the wine as a reminder of his blood that was shared on the cross for us. It's a resemblance and a reminder that we have a good, good, good shepherd that goes before us that invites us to follow him and has a helper that helps us along the way. We're gonna take up the elements, but I also just wanna say that after we're done taking communion and as we transition into, into some worship, I think that it's very reasonable for you today, if you've heard a message like this and you go, man, I wanna follow this Jesus. And maybe that means it's the first time for you where you go, wow, this makes sense. I wanna follow Jesus. I don't just wanna be, be a believer that looks at a distance. I wanna follow him. If that's you this morning and you wanna choose Jesus, we want to introduce you to this Jesus. Some of our eldership team will be up front and we wanna pray with you. Maybe it's you hearing this message, you go, whoa, okay, I was 180 days, 180 degrees the wrong direction and I wanna come back and I wanna follow Jesus. Come up front, we wanna pray with you. We just wanna get you, get you around some of us and say, you're not alone and you're not on your own. You're in community. We wanna stand with you and pray with you. So come up front. We're up here, come and find me. We will find people to stand and pray with you. Why don't we start? I'm gonna pray and we'll release you guys to take up the elements here. Father, we are just in awe of you. God, when we look to you, we don't keep you at a distance. When we see you, our faith isn't just one of believing that you exist. It's one of a response to you saying, come and change me, come and have your way. Father, we, we take up right now the elements as a reminder of what you've done on the cross. What a privilege to come into your kingdom. We are so in love with you and in awe of you, Jesus. And we just do this in remembrance of you. Amen.